Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, I want to talk to you today about following Jesus in a me first world. You know, one of the things that I have become probably a bit more alert to than ever before in this season is how comfortable it has become for us to be a Christian in a Western context. That kind of phrase of comfortable Christianity has been uh, ringing in my ears and has been something that I have seen particularly, you know, in my own world. It's something that's been ruffled in this season where you have learned how fragile our world really is and how comfortable we are in our faith and our freedom to express that. And then how quickly things can change around us. And all of a sudden we are confronted and we are uncomfortable and we are more aware of division and difference and conflict and some form of persecution. It gives us an opportunity, though, as, as followers of Jesus to be more sober-minded and awake to our own personal relationship with him, to what it is that he is actually saying to us in this moment of time. The Bible talks about this in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Or in Luke 21, 36, it says, but stay awake, church, at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We can't allow ourselves to become comfortable Christians. We must be sober-minded at all seasons. We must be awake to what it truly means to follow Jesus in these times that we're living in, to be able to face what we are encountering in our everyday. Have we fallen asleep spiritually or forgotten in our comfortable Christianity what it means to follow Jesus, to take up our cross daily and to follow him? To be honest with you, this feels like a real common challenge for us, a corporate challenge as well as an individual challenge before us all. And uh, as I was reflecting on this, a little bit of a personal reflection for me, I was beginning to think about some of the marks of what it does look like to be a comfortable Christian. And so while we're being honest this morning about this, I thought I'd share it with you. Maybe you could reflect on this too. But some of the signs that your Christianity is too comfortable is firstly, there is no tension or questions in your faith. If you never wrestle if you never feel provoked to dig deeper into your theology and your understanding of the word, your faith is probably too comfortable. You and I as followers of Jesus Christ need to understand that the prodding and the challenging and the provoking to stretch us is all to help us point us back to Jesus, to help us run to the word of God and to dig a little deeper beneath the service to find out what it is we believe and why we believe it. The second sign that your Christianity is too comfortable is that people in your world are surprised that you go to church and follow Jesus. You easily blend in. You talk and walk like your neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus. 
And I'm not talking here about your life looking religious and doing all the right things. I'm talking about your relationship and how that makes a difference to your life. The third thing is you don't think about the message from Sunday on a Monday morning. You give no further thought. There's no recall about what it was that stirred in you on that day. You just carry on as though nothing is different. But the Word of God is living and it's active. It should make a difference on our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for the rest of our lives. Another reason that you could find yourself becoming a comfortable Christian is that no one ever annoys you at church. Did I just say that? Are we only talking to the people who are closely aligned to our opinions and our tastes? This isn't the body of Christ, if that's the case. We are supposed to come together unified in Christ from all different kinds of walks and backgrounds, and you will inevitably bump into someone who may just annoy you. We are still called to love them, don't get me wrong, but that's the truth. Maybe your Christianity is too comfortable. Another reason is that you never feel challenged, you only feel affirmed. Now, I'm not against you being encouraged and affirmed. I'm a big believer that that's the heart of God for us. But we are all becoming more like Christ after all, which means we're not perfect, which means none of us have arrived yet, which means we need to be challenged. We need to have that provoking every now and then. So it's good and it's okay for us to have our idols, to have our comforts, to have our sins challenged. We are being shaped and moulded by the potter's hand and that is uncomfortable. And then maybe another reason you find yourself in this space of being a comfortable Christian is because you've never had a truth in love conversation with a brother or sister in Christ. You know, we are still uh, human beings. We still have this tendency to disappoint or to hurt or to offend one another. So let's talk about it. Let's talk to each other. You know, unity in the body of Christ needs us to be honest and transparent with one another. So maybe you identify with some of those signs, but maybe in this season you have been completely ruffled and unco become uncomfortable because many of us are feeling uncomfortable right now and we just want to escape it. We just want to perhaps uh, distract ourselves from it. But I think maybe that is an actually a good thing. There's a greater urgency in the uncomfortableness for us to lean in to wait on the Lord, to hear his voice and to obey it with urgency. And as I listen and as I wait and as I pray and process what is happening around us, I find my, myself going to scripture that I once read in one season of time, now carrying a renewed weight in my life in this current season. As I'm reading scripture in this season, I'm reminded of, again of what truly matters. What truly matters to the heart of God matters truly to me. And maybe like me, you're finding this news of the world very loud right now. And it is loud. And we can't walk around with our heads in the sand pretending that there are not some really weighty and heavy issues that are around about us. But this is even more the reason why we must remain closely aligned 
with the good news of the gospel. That is what our mandate is after all. To remember in the midst of a heavy and difficult season what it is that we are actually commissioned to do. To go into all the world and to preach the good news. I don't want you to hear me wrong today. I am not against causes. I'm not opposed to us using our voice to advocate and to bring change to the communities around us and the people that we encounter. We are to engage in those things. But we must remain motivated by the gospel message and the commission of Jesus to us to make disciples of all people. The way I see it, there have been various things and comforts that have been stripped away from us in this season. And it is almost like you might be feeling this, that you've been forced into a corner. There's restrictions, there's limitations, there's lockdowns, things you can and can't do that are always changing around you. And all of this triggering a survival response in each of us. So our posture can go from building and strengthening and going forth with the gospel of hope and truth and making disciples of Jesus Christ to fighting and struggling and striving and defending and hiding or maybe even retreating. And then in this survival mode, we find ourselves in this fight or flight kind of response. And there can be a tendency for us to become very me-centric. And what I mean by that is that our actions and our responses and the words that are coming out of our mouths and all of our conversations can become about our self-preservation or our self-protection or being defensive about ourselves. But church, I want to remind you today that that's not what our call is. That's not what our purpose is. That's not what it looks like to follow Jesus. When you and I said yes to following Jesus, we gave over control and rule of our lives to God, to a God who saves, to a God who protects, to a God who fights for us, defends us, and to a God who fulfills us. And rather than maybe being in that fight or flight mode, we have become living sacrifices You know, I've been reflecting on the scripture from Romans, which is where we're going to read from today in chapter 12. And it's called, it's titled that we are called to be a living sacrifice. And I really believe that in this temperature and the climate of issues and tensions, people are in that fight or flight mode. But we need to remember of our purpose and our posture in the Lord is this living sacrifice. Let's read from Romans 12. I'm just going to share two verses today. Why don't you open up your Bible? And it says here, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And just for fun today, I want us to read from the message. I know it's a paraphrase, but it's really helpful sometimes for us just to get a bit of a different perspective. So here it is. Here it says, so here's what I want you to do. 
God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Hello. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Amen. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. That's gold. That's what I want to see in my life. And Paul is writing this to remind us of the only rational response to God's great mercy for us is to give our lives to him and for his purposes. You know, this is a letter that is written by Paul to describe to us how we are to live as disciples of Jesus in every single season. He cuts no corners, he holds nothing back in the use of his words. And reading this portion of the letter, we are hit in the face with the humbling truth that we have life in the first place only because of God's great mercy to us. That our freedoms, our forgiveness, our salvation, they're not deserved. They are not our right they're not even reasonably attainable on our own. In fact, we deserve quite the opposite. So let's just pause on that thought for a moment. Because of God's mercy upon us, his great mercy, we are in this position. And this mercies of God are justification from the guilt and penalty of sin. That's huge. The mercy of God gives us an adoption in Jesus and identification with Christ. We are placed under grace now, not law. The mercy of God means that we're given the Holy Spirit to live within. We are promised help in all afflictions. We have the assurance of standing in God's election and confidence of the coming glory. Amen. Because of the mercies of God, we have confidence of no separation from the love of God. And we have confidence in God's unfailing, continued faithfulness. That's, that's huge when we begin to ponder and reflect upon just that alone. That because of the mercy of God, we have all of these things. But not only that. It says here in this scripture that we have been made holy and, and acceptable to God because of Jesus, because of what he has done for us. You know, I don't know if you think about this much, but we have no capacity on our own to be acceptable before God. Who do we think we are? When I begin to ponder and let that sink in, I am so humbled and what it is that God has done, the cost of Jesus' life to come in a way that means I can be wholly acceptable before God. For all the talented people in the world, for all the intellects, for all the knowledge, and for all the skill, and I can tell you there's some incredible skill and knowledge and intellect and talent out there, it still wouldn't be enough to make us acceptable and holy before God. And yet here we are, you and I, standing because of the mercy of God, 
because of what Jesus has done. Because of all, this, all of this, we now are saved and we are transformed and we are restored and we are redeemed and we are in right relationship with God. And yet we still get sidetracked in seasons like this. So what's the right response? Paul's response might sound like it's a little extreme or maybe even harsh, but it is what we need. We are in need of our saviour. Paul says the only reasonable thing for us to do is we are to present our bodies like an offering as a living sacrifice to God. And I wonder if you think much about that very first moment that you encountered the salvation of Jesus in your life. That moment where you encountered for the very first time what it means to be loved by God. Whether there were dramatic or ordinary events around it, do you remember the miraculous work that took place in your life? The awareness of his presence, the awareness of his love, the realization that you have a deep need for his forgiveness and the revelation of who Jesus is. You know, we say yes to Jesus in a moment of genuine surrender and repentance of humility and of self-denial. It's a forsaking of everything else. When we have that moment of salvation, we repent and we turn from one position and we turn directly into the, the face of Jesus. We turn towards him because of what he has done for us. And we receive this free gift that he has given us because of God's mercy, because of Jesus and the miraculous gift of eternal life is our inheritance. And again, the only reasonable response that you and I are asked to do is to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God. So what are the clear markers of our life? What, what does it look like when we go on this journey of followers of Jesus Christ? Well, the first part of this scripture today helps us. And it says it very plainly, and we've already said it today, but it is to be a living sacrifice, plain and simple. The offering of our lives as a living sacrifice requires ongoing daily repentance, self-denial, and obedience. You know, repentance is a word that we perhaps only think about at the point of salvation, or maybe when we feel like we've done something really, really sinful that we need to come before God with. But repentance is a deliberate and intentional commitment that is an ongoing thing in our walk with God, to turn away from the things that are sinful and that are not of God. They don't have to be big things that can get in the way of our intimacy with Jesus. They can actually sometimes even be good things that become more important to us over time than our relationship with Jesus. And we need to repent of those things daily. It isn't about our emotions or feelings because sometimes repentance can be reflected in that way, that we are so um, emotional and so sorry for what we have done and that should be a part of our response. But it, repentance is about an inward posture of our hearts, a change of mind towards our sin, a wanting to run to the heart of God. And this leads us to transformation. This is what it means for us to live as a living sacrifice before God. The second thing that I mentioned was self-denial. 
You know, at the core of our human nature it is, as I mentioned before, we can get into this fight or flight mode and we want to protect ourselves. Or maybe we want to promote ourselves to seek out pleasure and comfort for ourselves. And yet offering ourselves as a living sacrifice actually denies us of all of these rights. And when we sacrifice our lives, it isn't saying that we don't care about what happens to us. It's saying that we trust in a God who will take care of us, who will comfort us, who will guide us, who will strengthen us, who will shape us and mold us into the person that he has created us to be. It's entrusting him with our care. We come to this place of laying it all down on the altar and declaring that Jesus is more important than our own wants and our own desires. That's what self-denial looks like. Or even better, that we trust him with everything. We are willing, even in our fear or our anxiety or in our uncertainty, to say, God, I don't have all the answers and I'm not sure about doing this, but I am going to surrender fully to you. I deny myself and I follow after you. This leads us to transformation. This means that we become more like Jesus. And then the third thing I mentioned about what it looks like for us to be a living sacrifice in our everyday life is obedience. You know, I've come to discover that obedience is often an act of faith. I don't always feel like it. I don't always understand it. It isn't about necessarily all those things that I've talked about in my rights and my wants and my desires. It's about the Word of God and what He says. It's about His Word to me, and sometimes that requires my faith alone to obey. I've discovered, especially in this season of my life where I don't understand or I don't like what is happening, I need my faith to help me obey. Romans 1.5 tells us that obedience comes through faith. Faith in a God that we can trust. Who do you believe your God to be? And maybe that's linked to your obedience, how you see him, what you know of God. Maybe it's an area you need to seek to know God more in order to be able to trust him. You know, when I don't feel like obeying, it's an act of faith and trust that he actually knows better than me that he sees all things, that he has the big picture, that he who created me knows what's best for me. Our obedience transforms us to becoming more like Christ. As we can see, offering up our lives daily as a living sacrifice to God is actually no small thing. It's not something we can become comfortable with. It's not something that we can be passive about. It's not something that we want to become uh, familiar with. It's this constant act of sacrifice. It requires a dying to self so that we can be alive in Christ. This is not a half-hearted commitment or a quick fix to our lives. This is a lifelong surrender of everything. This is what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to take up our cross and follow him. We first surrender our lives to Jesus when we receive salvation. We say yes to his will. We say yes to his way. We say yes, we want to receive the gift of salvation. It's a decision that we make, a choice to make Jesus Lord of our lives. And it's a decision that we make over and over and over again. 
Surrender is not resignation. It's not passivity to what is going on. When we surrender to Jesus, it is not a weakness nor a cop-out. The surrender to Christ is a pathway of obedience and repentance and self-denial. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound easy. It doesn't sound comfortable to me. It's a life of sacrifice. You know, often in my own life, I have to be honest, I've come to a point of surrender only when my own resources are spent. Only when I've had no more answers and no more personal knowledge or resource, no more options. And so my surrender is almost a last resort. An acceptance that, well, I've done all that I can, so now you have a go, Lord. But surrender is not that. It's not a point that we get to after we've had our own good crack. Surrender is a way of everyday living. The difference of the kind of surrender is in the question, what am I surrendering to? Who is it that I am surrendering? Who is it that I am becoming a living sacrifice for? And of course, we know that it is to Jesus. In this season, you may have thrown everything you know at what has come your way. And we've had some unexpected, curly problems that we've had to encounter. You may have prayed every prayer. You may have shummer ding dong through every issue. You may have read everything there is to read on the current problems. You may have had every conversation to solve all the world's problems, and yet here you are. Still the same place of wrestle and tension and the Groundhog Day vibes. There's no progress that you can see, no fruit from your labor, labor, no fast way through this. And the truth is, it is God who has called us, gifted us, empowered us, equipped us, and positioned us for such a time as this. Have you thought about that? <laughs> then all the wrestle and tension of this season and all the uncomfortableness that we are feeling around and about us, God positioned you and I on this earth for such a time as this. In his great wisdom and sovereignty, he ordained that we would be here in this moment of history. We are here because of him. So in light of such deep dependency and in light of his all-sufficiency, it all of a sudden becomes clear to us that we are to live more of a surrendering life than a one-time surrendered one. What do I mean by a surrendering life? Well, a surrendering life is a daily choice, a focused decision, an intimate relationship, and an anchoring in God. You know, I've talked about this already in this being a living sacrifice is not just for our salvation, but it is for this every day. But this daily, everyday, ongoing moment by moment sometimes choice that we make. This is our constant way of life. This is our filter. This is our reality. This is our truth. This is our guiding marker. It's our constant response to all things, a submitting and a surrendering to the Lord of our lives. This is a daily choice that we make. And it's a focused surrendering. What's the main thing here? There is so much going on right now, so much clambering for our attention and, and shouting at us. How do we remain focused 
on God's heart and God's agenda in this season. We can't afford to become sidetracked, church. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things shall be added. Not an easy thing to surrender the things that are coming at us. We want answers. We want to know how to respond. But if they are not kingdom-focused, we leave them to God to sort out, and we seek him, and we obey when he tells us to. Another part of our surrendering life is about our intimate relationship with Jesus. We need all the help that we can get. And we've been given the Holy Spirit as our helper. I can't stress to you enough how much God is impressing on each and every one of us as a church in this season to stay so close to him. There is so much pulling for our attention and our affection But we must remain strong and steadfast in our pursuit of our relationship with Jesus, eyes fixed and our gaze set on him. And our surrendering life is about us having our anchor in God. We are not moved in our anchor in God. Where are the foundations of your faith? Who is your rock? We find out pretty quickly when things fall apart or our comfort is stripped away where this lands. Can I be honest with you today? We're facing some really pivotal moments in history, facing some serious issues, some really important issues. And as I said earlier, we can't bury our heads in the sand. We can't pretend we don't notice. We can't even stay out of the conversations. We have to respond. We have to lead with grace and truth through this together. And I hear people say that the church needs to rise up and stand against these issues and we must fight. And that is all well and good. But my concern is that we become so consumed, so preoccupied with these other important issues that we actually neglect to fulfill the greatest commission of all, the preaching of the gospel, the making of disciples. And before we know it, Rather than responding to these important issues, we find ourselves deep in fighting in a battle that we simply are not commissioned for. Let's not be found to be talking more about lockdowns and restrictions and masks and vaccinations than we are about the kingdom and salvation and eternity and hope and repentance and surrender. We must face these times from a place of surrendering to Jesus, surrendering to his strength, to his grace, his truth, his power, and his ways. You know, as I come to a conclusion of this message today, this second part of this scripture, it gives us an outcome of our surrendering, a fruit that we will see as we offer our lives up as a living sacrifice to God. It will renew our minds. And we will be transformed and we will discern the word of God. You want to know what to do about some of these issues? Surrender. Surrender to Jesus. He'll renew your thinking. He will show you what's on God's heart. He will transform you and he will help you discern when to speak and when to be silent. You know, my ways, they're not God's ways. My thoughts are not God's thoughts. And on these issues that we are fighting about or perhaps avoiding in this season, we need the heart of God. 
We need the mind of Christ. What does God say in this hour? Let me read it to you again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, church, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, as we talk about being comfortable Christians or uncomfortable Christians, the reality is the Christian faith is inherently uncomfortable. To be a disciple of Jesus is to deny oneself, to take up our cross, to be subject to persecution, to give up the creature comforts of home, to be willing to give up all material possessions if the Lord asks us, to be crucified with Christ. And that's just the beginning. So by all means, advocate, use your voice, Rise up as God leads you. Speak up. Use your life to bring right to the injustices, but make sure that it is motivated for the sake of the gospel. And it's from this posture of your life being a living sacrifice unto God. It's not about your rights or your agenda. My life is not my own. Therefore, as we live to Christ, He will help you and I to discern His will in these times. And I can tell you, it will always be to point people to Jesus and to see the lost encounter Him. This is what it looks like, church, for you and I to follow Jesus in a me-first world. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.